Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, I'm Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF Podcast. Voices is the most stimulating gathering of fashion industry leaders on the planet. What makes Voices different is that we mix our industry with fascinating people from other sectors, from the worlds of economics, activism, health and wellness, medicine, film, philanthropy, technology, media, and so many more. Fashion doesn't live in a bubble, and nor should it. This is one of the sessions from our 2017 gathering. On the BOF podcast today, we explore the question, are the technology giants too powerful? Jonathan Taplin is an expert in digital media and the entertainment industry, and is the author of Move Fast and Break Things. And I invited him to speak with my friend Rohan Silva, who I met several years ago when he was working with David Cameron. Rohan is one of the best interviewers, moderators, speakers that I know. And the conversation that we had with Rohan and Jonathan at Voices 2017 was definitely one of the highlights. I look forward to sharing this with you. So here we go, Rohan and Jonathan from Voices 2017, are the technology giants too powerful? Just a quick note, this conversation is recorded live in front of an audience, so please excuse any audio issues. Jonathan's book, for those of you who haven't read it, is definitely my favorite book of the year. Whatever you think about what we're going to discuss, it really is uh, an incredible read. Um, so Jonathan, uh, Imran slightly teased the audience there about the content of your book. What, what's the big argument you're keen to, to get across? Well, this came out of a personal experience. Uh, I worked for Bob Dylan and the band in the late 60s as a tour manager. And the band was what was called, I would call a middle-class group of musicians. They didn't make as much money as Cream or Rolling Stones, but they made a very good living. Mm. And Levon Helm was the drummer and the lead singer of the band. And that living continued long after we finished. We, I made a movie called The Last Waltz with Marty Scorsese and them. Uh, it continued because in the 80s, the CD came in and everybody kept making money. And then in 2000, that just stopped. Mm. And in 2000, Levon also got throat cancer. 
And so he couldn't continue working as a musician and he had no record royalties because, because everything was free. Mm. Um, none of, nobody was buying CDs anymore. And I could go on in 2005 or 2008, I could go on YouTube and see The Wait or The Night They Told Over Dixie Down and there were three million streams of it and yet none of that was flowing to the musicians. Mm. And so I began to try and figure out what had happened. And, you know, because I ran the Annenberg Innovation Lab at University of Southern California, I got to meet all the people that made the internet. Tim Berners-Lee, Vince Cerf, John Seeley Brown. Mm. And their project in 1968 was a very countercultural, idealistic idea, which was we need to decentralize the media system. Right. Because as we all remember, well, I'm older than most of the people here, but, uh, you know, in the US in 68, there were three TV networks and one newspaper, and that was the media. Mm. So the idea of a decentralized media system was a great idea. Yeah, incredible. What happened was in the late 80s, coming out of West Coast universities, a group of libertarians, Peter Thiel, Larry Page, Jeff Bezos, had a very different idea, which was that the internet, because of scale economies, could be a winner-takes-all business that you could get one search engine and you wouldn't need another one. You would get one e-commerce everything store and you wouldn't need another one. And eventually you would get one social network and you had two billion people on it and why would you need another one? And so they realized that if they could create a media sector where there was no regulation, where there was no taxes because Amazon could sell books without having to pay sales taxes and your bookstore had to pay sales taxes, Amazon in the United States put 4,000 independent bookstores out of business. Um, and essentially, there would be no copyright. So YouTube goes to the music business and says, look, your content is going to be on YouTube whether you want it to or not. All you have to decide is do you want a little of our advertising money or not? And, and it's a little. If you could get a million downloads for a tune on iTunes, uh, you could make $900,000. If you have a million streams on YouTube, you make $900. So that scale economy meant that the money went from people who made stuff, journalists, musicians, filmmakers, photographers, to people who owned the portals to which people found stuff, Facebook, Google, and Amazon. And that, to me, seemed problematic. The second problem was not just for creative artists, but was for our democracy. And you know, when my book first came out in the UK, uh, Macmillan said the second part of the subtitle, which is how Google, uh, how Facebook, Google, and Amazon cornered culture and undermined democracy, we have to take out that undermined democracy stuff uh, because we don't know what that really means. And of course, now the paperback's going to come out in a couple of months, and they're putting that back in because, as Brexit showed, you know, people use these platforms, and especially in the United States presidential election, to bring propaganda and fake news into the world in a, on a scale that nobody ever imagined. Mm. Facebook two weeks ago admitted that 155 million people saw 
fake Russian propaganda on their networks. So let's pick up on the, the economic side of that, right. uh, Jonathan. So you know, this is a room full of immensely creative people who I'm sure in different ways are using technology to make a living, reach new audiences. You can't dispute the fact that the likes of Amazon, Google, etc., mean it's easier than ever before for creative people to reach a global market, find customers around the world, find new revenue streams. That's got to be a good thing that's I, connected I, to the scale I, I, of those I platforms. I don't dispute that for a second. And there's that McKinsey BOF film showed, all of you are going to become more and more dependent on Amazon. You know, even brands like Nike, which had their own stores, are now realizing that maybe Amazon is, Amazon is the sales channel. And in the US, we call it retail apocalypse. You know, many, many mid-level stores are going bankrupt. Next year, Kmart and Sears will be out of business completely, and, and I don't know how many more. So the thing we understand from the book business is that Amazon is what we call a monopsony. That means a single middle platform that can force prices lower from producers. Now that may be helpful for end customers, retail keeps customers. In, keeps inflation down, helps uh, yeah, families. Keeps prices low. But for budgets. people who are producing stuff, whether it's fashion or books, there's a constant pressure to lower prices, cut your margins, do everything. And so that has forced authors into having to take second and third jobs, forced a lot of publishers out of business. And, you know, but Amazon has 75% of the book business. Um, you know, Google has almost 90% of the search advertising business. Facebook has 75% of the social network business if you include Instagram and WhatsApp. And Facebook and Google took 88% of all new online advertising last year. Mm. That's a monopoly. And of course, monopolies have other effects. Uh, one of the arguments Jonathan makes in his book that's really provocative is that competition policy, he argues, needs to change as a result. Because competition policy in the UK and, and, and America just looks at consumer pricing, which is frankly quite sensible. It looks at consumer pricing. You, you think, though, it, that should be broadened and well, reformed? The initial idea behind antitrust was to preserve competition. In other words, to have a world in which other people can compete against, in 1906, Standard Oil, right? right? But for fear that a dominant player would hike up the prices and we'd all get But spread. also that a dominant player would basically wipe out the competitors. So, for instance, there's a an app called Snapchat, which is a, basically a startup, you know, and began to develop very interesting things called Snapchat Stories, and some of you have probably played with it. And they got a lot of uptake, and they got to about 100 million users, and Facebook came to them and said, we'd like to buy you for $3 billion. Now, that's pretty good for a company mm. that was one year old, right? And Evan Spiegel, a nice kid in Venice, California, said, no, I think we're going to go it alone. And the Facebook guys left and said, you'll probably regret this. And of course, they went home. They took, they exactly cloned everything that Snapchat did. And now there's Instagram stories, WhatsApp stories, Facebook stories. And they brought them out literally a week before Snapchat went public. 
So Snapchat went public at $28 a share. Its stock is at $13 a share today, and advertisers have fled them, and, and they basically knocked them off. But Jonathan, isn't, isn't that a sign of competition? Think of uh, when Facebook was growing, Google worked incredibly hard to try and build its own social network. Google Plus, it tried to integrate social into everything it did. Facebook fought back. Google lost that battle. They sort of retreated on social. But isn't this a sign of healthy competition that companies are not so different maybe to the way that TV companies steal ideas from each other, fashion companies I'm sure are constantly borrowing and, and inspiring each other. This is, this is what the, the market economy is about, right? Well, first off, let's, let's be clear what happened between Facebook and Google. Facebook then threatened to go into the search business because it had two billion customers. And then they had a nice little meeting and they said, okay, you stay in social media, we'll stay in search, and we won't bother each other. And that's what happened. I mean, basically Google shot Google Plus in the head. So, because it wasn't working, though. Well, also that, sucks, you know, right? I mean, you know. look, you, you can apply dollars to all sorts of things. And, and, you know, one could argue that YouTube doesn't really make profits, but they're going to keep it going until it does, until they become the dominant player. Mm. I mean, Amazon has shown very clearly that it can run at a near deficit for years and years and years, but just make cash flow in order to make sure that it dominates a business sector. It's going to dominate food in America. It came into Whole Foods, which we used to call Whole Paycheck, and basically <laughs> cut prices radically. And now Whole Foods is pressuring you know, all the other grocery chains in America uh, very... Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person, too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere, online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. <coughs> Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Finally, and, and your book does a brilliant job of charting the, the implications for uh, music and film industries you know inside out. What about the fashion industry? Because uh, again, people might think, well, you know, Google, Facebook, uh, so on, help us reach bigger audiences. Uh, Amazon can be used in sort of clever ways. Net positive for, for the industry. Well, look, I mean, we all have to be careful in, in, in this sense. Amazon completely dominates the book business. Amazon probably would like to dominate the fashion business. At some point, they may actually invest in their own private lines, labels, you know, like someone bought Bonobos, you know. Mm. Uh, and, and so now you get this problem of what we call net neutrality, right? So what happened? Why did the EU fine Google $2.7 billion three months ago? Well, Google has lots of services that recommend restaurants or recommend hotels or travel services and stuff. And Google was a search engine, which is supposed to be a neutral place, and yet a content provider. But Google was obviously pushing its own content above that of Yelp or anybody else. And that's how they got caught. Now, Amazon is already doing that same thing in the television business, right? So Amazon makes TV shows and movies, and when you go to Amazon Prime Video, you assume you have content from Warner Brothers, Disney, everybody else, but no, the Amazon stuff is always at the top of the stack, always recommending Amazon stuff. So one has to be careful mm. that, that if you get somebody who ends up having 80% market share or 70% market share of all e-commerce, which is a total possibility. I mean, they had almost 60% on Black Friday. Mm. Uh, you're going to end up dealing with a gorilla. And sometimes that's not fun. <laughs> sometimes it'll chew your face off. The, uh, 
when it comes to advertising, though, um, and we'll talk about democracy after that, but when it comes to advertising, um, the likes of Google and Facebook, which, you know, as you point out so eloquently in the book, have absolutely uh, crushed the old right. advertising industry and model and have right. taken all that cash for themselves. Isn't that, that because, uh, in large part, because anyone here who wants to target a particular demographic right. can do that much better via Facebook than even via, than via TV advertising right. or sort of old-fashioned okay, so These, these companies are in what I call surveillance capitalism. So they basically know much more about you than you have any idea of what. So you look at this. I mean, I was at a tech conference. A Google engineer says, you think this is a mirror, but it's a one-way mirror. We're looking on the other side, and we're looking at every intimate detail of your life. And on some sense, that may be fine. You think uh, your driving insurance rates are set by how well you drive. They're not. They're set by where you drive. So if you park your car in a sketchy neighborhood, you're going to have a higher insurance rate than if you park your car in a very posh Kensington. You know. So that's one problem. The second problem is, where does this end? Because we're going to hear a lot about artificial intelligence today. So the Chinese firm, Alibaba, has an a application called Sesame Social Credit. And uh, what it does is overlay your credit score, how well you repay your bank card, with your social media activity. So if you played video games for six hours on Saturday, which I did, your social credit score would go down because you're considered a slacker. Right. If I happen to write a post critical of the Chinese government on WeChat, my social credit score would go down because I was considered unpatriotic. If you happen to cross the street in Shanghai in the middle of the street as a jaywalker and were caught on one of the thousands of ubiquitous cameras that are on the street with facial recognition, your social credit score would go down because you were considered a lawbreaker. Now you'd say, why would anybody be on this? There are 200 million people on Sesame Social Credit and most millennials use their social credit score, especially the men, on their dating apps to prove <laughs> that they're very marriageable, patriotic, conforming citizens. That to me is problematic. And when social media becomes a force of conformism, mm. which obviously Huxley and Orwell kind of predicted, then you have a problem. The second problem you have is, and maybe this is something that we in this room should consider. It does seem to me that in a lot of ways, the digital age is a deflationary age. You, maybe not in London, but in LA, you can take an Uber, you don't need to buy a car. Right. You can go stay at Airbnb, so nobody has to build as many hotels. You don't have to buy a home, you rent a home. You, the, the implication of needing to buy stuff is not so strong. Yeah, and the cost of starting a business has come right down. You don't right. need servers. And, and you, from the entertainment's perspective, there's so much free stuff, I'm probably not going to go to the paid stuff as much. Um, certainly the movie business feels like it's failing in a deep way. If that's true, then 
Essentially, Facebook puts itself forward as the last solution to the problem of inspiring consumers to do stuff. If I have this device in my pocket which notifies me, hey, you're only three blocks away from H&M and there's a sale on that dress you like, bang, bang, push, push, it's always with you, it's the ultimate notification thing. Maybe, maybe Facebook will save, you know, this. Who knows? But the flip side of um, conformism, I guess, is uh, the, 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 the means by which a global community is coming together via some of these platforms. One of the teams based at Second Home uh, is called Help Refugees, and they use the hashtag Choose Love to build a really right. incredible movement around uh, refugee giving in, in the UK. Loads of other examples from Me Too to uh, uh, and so on. What do you think about that and, and that trade-off? Do you think I the trade-off is potentially, a net negative? I think it's potentially very useful. Um, the problem is, of course, you know, I've met some of the people who were involved in the Arab Spring, and although it was a good starter, it ended up being the way, once the government changed, that they were all arrested because they were spied on through their social media use. Uh, and so one has to be careful. I mean, clearly the Chinese use it as a, a source of social coercion, uh, and many, many other countries do that. And so we can celebrate this, but we also have to worry. I was in Las Vegas a week after the tragic shooting, mm. and the students came up to me and said, you wouldn't believe the stuff that was posted at the top of my newsfeed as to the reason that Hillary Clinton's supporter was the person who shot those people because they were country music fans and they're conservative Donald Trump supporters. And it was all nonsense. But because, as Brexit and other things prove, you can put out fake news, you could put out a post saying, the Pope endorses Donald Trump, and you could hit it with five, 100,000 bots, which any of you can buy if you want more followers on your thing. Just go on Google and buy yourself 100,000 followers. They're not people, they're bots, but you can do it. And you hit it with 500,000 bots, it'll go to the top of the Google searching algorithm, it'll go to the top of Facebook. I think BRF Voices hashtag is, uh, is following the same technique right now. <laughs> but the, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm aware it's trending. I'm also aware we're, we're out of time. This, this is a debate genuinely that's going to run and run. Jonathan has, has kicked off something. He's really uh, touched a nerve. And uh, if you do one thing off the back of this conference, aside from giving to refugee charities, which you should absolutely do, it, buy Jonathan's book. Don't buy it from Amazon. Don't read it for free. <laughs> Go to Ro don't read it for free on bookstore. Yeah, don't read it for free on Google uh, <laughs> Books. I have a bookshop, lots of great bookshops around, around the place. Thanks for listening to the Business of Fashion podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and subscribe today. Don't forget to visit businessoffashion.com to learn more about BOF and everything that we do. 
everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O-L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O, soldejanero.com, and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the super light tree runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the super light tree runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.